0: Learn more about student visionaries of the year or nominate a student at lls.org slash students. That's lls.org slash students. Welcome to the Jill on Money podcast. It's Wednesday, June 2nd, and it is still weird to say June. Mark, don't you feel like we've just lost about, I don't know, 15, 18 months of our lives just being in a weird pandemic haze? Do you feel that way? It is a blur. I wonder how it's going. I wonder how we're going to remember it. I wish that, you know, in a weird way, I was thinking that going to a daily podcast for us, you know, on when did we do it? March 14th of 2020, that it was almost like our own little um, way of keeping a journal. Yeah, I should have said more about like how I was feeling, but, you know, who cares how I'm feeling? but you might care about what I think about your financial situation. And if that's the case, send us an email, askjill at jillonmoney.com, Jill at jillonmoney.com. Now we're going to start with a very important email because, well, it's a sad one. So it's always kind of sobering to get these kinds of notes. So this is from Anonymous who says, in the next five years, I expect the double whammy of my retirement at age 65 and my spouse's death from stage four terminal breast cancer. God. That's like a... Got to let that sit for a second. This date is harder to determine. It will probably occur within the next one to two years, if not sooner, from complications. Okay. Now, weirdly, I know that this might sound crazy, that this woman is sending us a note and asking us a question about this. But when you are facing a terminal illness, and at least you know it is going to happen, it's not the worst thing in the world to channel some of your energy and your anxiety into trying to make sure that you can settle affairs before that terrible event occurs. So it's not crass or it's not weird. To me, I think it is completely human to concentrate on the only thing you can control in an uncontrollable event like this. Her concerns are, is she on track for retirement and how being a widow on a single income could impact her preparation for retirement? She says, when I'm living on one income, I will be faced with either withdrawing from savings to replace her income or severely reducing my current savings rate so that I can pay the bills without withdrawing from savings or the IRA. Unfortunately, her life insurance was limited. It will replace her income for two and a half years. Current expenses are about $10,000 a month. I'm also worried about future tax hits that I would incur when I have to file a single. And then when do I have to start taking required minimum distributions? Her pension will be $5,000 a month Net, So that's a good number, right? Survivor benefits will be $2,500 a month. She's going to let her social security grow until age 70. So what you can do is when your partner, uh, when your spouse dies, you can claim based on the survivor benefit and then switch to your own record, meaning your record can kind of grow in the interim. That's a good plan. All right. I plan on selling our home downsizing at that time. I have no idea where I want to go. Hmm. Well, I mean, you don't give me the actual numbers as to how much money you have in savings or the IRA. I think that my preference would be to limit your retirement savings and use your cash flow to pay the expenses. It sounds to me like you are going to get pretty close to your, to your numbers, to your target expense number. I really wouldn't worry too much about future tax hits right now. I don't know if there's much you could do, but I would try to limit your retirement contributions. You've got a great pension. If you have a big fat required minimum distribution that you have to start taking at age 72, we can deal with that. I kind of feel like we're going to have a lot more information when you're 65 and reassess maybe at the time you are single and you know, you've lost your spouse and we can try to make different decisions at that time knowing a little bit more, I wouldn't freak out about downsizing right now. I, I wouldn't think about that. Essentially, I wouldn't necessarily go nuts putting money into retirement. I try to make sure I had some money in savings in case you, you know, you may need to bridge yourself a little bit more, but it's very hard to make big planning decisions amid this. I think it's a good idea to check in to make sure that all, you know, things are kind of settled and you've got estate documents for sure but I'm not 100% sure that you need to get yourself too freaked out about what's happening in the next few, you know, few years. We don't, we don't know a lot right now. So that's my two cents on that. Charles writes, view on target retirement date funds. Okay, here we go. Charles says, I've been looking at the asset mix of target date funds and how they change as you near the retirement year and thereafter. I like the T. Rowe price funds as they appear a bit more aggressive with a slightly higher weighting of equity versus bonds than some of the others like Vanguard. But he does note, although Vanguard probably has lower fees. Each year, sometime in January, I pulled together my investments, mainly 401k plans. They're all index funds. And I calculate the percentage in each category, which I'm laughing about only because like you really got to love this stuff to do this. Okay. He calculates the percentage in each category and he says, if the calculation is off, you know, he moves funds, he sets it aside. He rebalances once a year, basically, as I'm getting close to retirement in the next three to five years, I am tempted to roll my 401k plan assets all into one 2025 target date fund. So I don't have to rebalance going forward. The fund manager using programs will likely balance much more frequently than I would. I'd be better protected from risks of being overweighted. I know fees for target funds are a bit higher than regular index funds. So I'm interested in hearing your view on this topic. In other words, should should I rebalance myself on a periodic basis or just put everything in a target date fund? So, And, and, you know, it would be good to hear your view on putting all 401k assets into one target date fund versus splitting up across two or more target funds with different providers. In other words, should I split target funds at T. Rowe Price and Vanguard? Looking forward to your response. Greatly appreciate your thoughts. First of all, do not split target date funds. That is like completely maddening. You want to keep everything in one place. I don't really care. I'm, I'm like sort of agnostic about this. I'm not a huge fan of target date funds because I have the opposite problem of you. You know, you say I want you want more risk. I want less risk. So I prefer to have more control, which is why I like the index funds. But if you think of the whole rebalancing thing is a pain in the ass and it is, then just do the target date fund. That's fine with me. They take too much risk for me, even in later years. So You even mentioned the idea of a glide path. Some funds are allocated so that you glide through retirement and then your money lasts you for the next 30 years. Others, they go through a path that's up until your retirement age. So just check it out. Just pick one. Move on. Don't worry. This is a question from anonymous who wants to know about the role of financial advisors in estate planning. So the question is, hi, Jill. Thanks for all you do to educate and entertain. Your podcast is at the top of my playlist every day because it's my carrot to encourage me to work out. (laughs) I don't know about that. I don't know if I work like you get you have to. I thought you were going to say it's your carrot, not your stick. So that's good. My mom just passed away. My father's still alive. There will likely be an inheritance and right now it will go to my sister and me. Um, I'm 56. My husband and I are a bit under the 32% tax bracket. We've likely prepared sufficiently for retirement. We've got about $4 million in retirement accounts and brokerage accounts and an annual pension of 70 to maybe up to $100,000. Oh my God. And they're going to work for another five to 10 years. I'm wondering whether my dad should change his will and give a slice of my inheritance to my three kids who are 23, 20, and 18 directly since they are in a much lower tax bracket. Are there any other changes we should make to create a better tax advantage for us? Fundamentally, who answers these questions? Trust an estate attorney, an accountant, or a CFP? I feel like some of them overlap. I never have all three advisors in the same room. Can you please provide some direction? Okay, so Anonymous here's the deal. Yes, this is totally easy to do. But I think the bigger issue is, most importantly, forgetting about the the all three in the same room, I think your estate attorney and your CFP should be comp- having a conversation. I would use my CFP to kind of bounce this idea off of it. What you would be doing is disclaiming a part of your estate. Your dad may not have to make any changes to his estate. But there is uh, something called disclaiming, which is you can inherit an asset that comes to you and you can say, ah, I don't want it. And then it automatically can go down to the next generation. That said, depending on how big the estate is, Maybe there want there's a change. Maybe the assets that are going to be um, sent to each of you, maybe you could say to your dad, well, you know, it's a retirement account. Maybe don't leave me the retirement account because that's going to be a problem for us on a tax basis. Maybe it's better to make the kids the beneficiary of that retirement account. But I think you should talk to your CFP first, then have and just say, I want to have a meeting with, with the folks who are all involved. It should be collaborative. I think that if you guys are in sound like you're in such good shape that it really does and could make sense for you to just skip your, some portion of it. We don't know how much, but some portion of this money and have it go down to your kids. Okay. Let's see. Mary says, I love your podcast. I'm learning a ton. I'm 65. I'm married. My husband's 73 and retired. I'm in my second career. I'm self-employed as a realtor. That's kind of cool. Income goes up and down. I've got $1.2 million in an IRA and I have not claimed Social Security yet. I will claim at age 70. Question Should I convert the IRA to a Roth before 72 to avoid taxes down the road? We don't have extra money to pay the taxes on the conversion. My accountant says no. I agree with your accountant and so does Mark. I know I'm going to answer for him. Maybe what you should start to do is stop putting money into the IRA and start accumulating a larger cash account. You know, I'm not saying you would have all the money available, but it sounds to me like you might be a little light on the liquidity. And finally, Nancy says that I am 59 and I took out a home equity loan for $50,000 10 years ago this summer. So coming to an end. I'm thinking it's best to renew it, but honestly, I don't need it. I just think it's probably a great idea to have for emergencies and home improvements that I'm not even thinking about now, but I might in the future. Any tips on what to consider? I Imagine it's easiest to stick with the same lender, or should I shop around again like I did at the beginning? The banker suggested I go higher, 100 versus 50, because it gives me more flexibility, even if my needs will never go that high. Trust me, no way. I do plan to stay in the home for another five to seven years. Do you mean, I just want to make sure I understand this. Do you have a home equity line of credit or do you have an actual loan? It sounds to me like it's a line of credit. Is that what it sounds like to you, Mark? Yeah. So um, if it's a line of credit, since you're not drawing it down, um, I would just stick to 50 and uh, who knows, maybe you're going to use it. I don't know about anything else in, in your life, but sure, go ahead and renew it. And you might as well shop around just to see. It makes sense just to compare, make sure you're getting a good deal. The only advantage of sticking where you are if they potentially give you slightly better pricing, but you know, you never know. I like a line of credit, you know, of course, when you need lines of credit, they usually shut them down on you, but not that a bank would ever do that. Do you see those bank executives, Mark, up on the hill testifying last week? What a joke! Man, you'd think that they are the freaking Red Cross, the way they describe how what they've done. God. Ay, ay, ay. Anyway, if you've got a, a financial question, a investment question, a loan question, an education question, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is askjill at jillonmoney.com. That's askjill at jillonmoney.com. Would you mind leaving us a rating, a review, it is really helpful for some obscure reason that Mark doesn't really ever quite explain to me. Also, check out all the stuff that we post up on our website, which is called jillonmoney.com. You can sign up for our free weekly newsletter. It comes out every Friday. Mark does a great job with that. All righty, now listen, you got to keep doing nice things for other people. That's a nice thing to continue, right, Mark? We keep doing that as the show close. Grit, growth, grace. We will talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for listening.